0: Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the Kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the Great Matt Guybe.
1: Good afternoon, Kingdom Corner Podcast devotees. The Great Matt Guybe with you here once again on the Kingdom Corner Podcast. And we have been studying in the book of Ephesians for quite some time now. We're making our way through Ephesians chapter 2. And last time we talked about aliens in search of an undiscovered country. And we kind of came up on the verse in chapter 2, verse 13. And that's where we had ended up, 13 and 14. And just to get you caught up, let's go back a little bit. And I'm going to read from 11 on, and then I'm going to add what we're reading today. Therefore remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made in the flesh, by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Continuing on in the portion we're going to talk about today, we're going to go from 14 and we're going to read through verse 17. But now in Christ Jesus, I'll start at 13 again, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace who hath made both one and hath brought down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the hostility even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain, or two, one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity or hostility thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh or near. Today, we want to title this episode Peace, the Antidote to Hostility. Peace, the Antidote to Hostility. I want to back you up here and just kind of bring you up to date. Last time we said that the Gentiles were just completely without God. We talked about they were aliens and they were in search of peace or an undiscovered country. They didn't even know what they were looking for. And they were so far from God, they were completely without Christ. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That means they weren't in the covenants or any of the laws of God that he had brought to the Jewish people. They were strangers from the covenants of promise, it said. This is verse 12. They had no hope. They were without God in the world. So they were hopeless. But then Christ died on the cross and shed his blood. And we talked about the last time that the blood of Christ not only cleansed us from sin and brought us near to Christ— But then it was like we read in Leviticus that life was in the blood and that we actually exchanged our life for the life of Jesus. Jesus now lives within us. Now we're new creatures. We have new hope. And that leads to the next section that we want to go into, which is peace, the antidote to hostility. We want to break this down today. And I believe we're going to be here next week as well, because peace is such a powerful, powerful a thing to talk about, such a powerful concept to try to bring some light and truth to. I want to talk quite a bit about that and study it a bit and go through some things with you to see if we can really settle that in our hearts and minds. For he is our peace, verse 14 says. He is our peace. The Greek says, for he himself is our own peace. The Greek word uses usage here is ero which means to join. It means to join together and refers to things that have been joined together. And when we're talking about he is our peace, the other word for peace there is irene or irene and refers again, making emphasis on something that's been joined together. That is like individuals, groups, bringing harmony, bringing a concord, you could say. To make peace, therefore, means, in this context, we're talking about joining together the Jews and Gentiles that were separated, okay? The Jews and Gentiles were joined together through God selecting the Jewish nation as the channel through which the Messiah would come, bringing salvation to the aliens. We talked about the Gentiles were aliens. They were without the country, without the commonwealth of God last week. Now, verse 13, as we read, the blood of Christ brought them together, the Jew and Gentile. We were joined together because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the shedding of his blood. Even the Jews were in need of Jesus as a Savior. They had to accept him as Messiah. Some of them, you know, they had gone through the law and the covenant the way they should, and their hearts were right. Others of them, it was all just lip service and going through the motions, and it was dead religion. So it was time for them to be transformed and redeemed by Jesus Christ. And this all came about by the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, let's go on. Greek, He and no other. Let's read this. For He is our peace. Or the Greek would say, He and no other is our peace. He and no other means He is in His own person made peace. In His own person by His sacrifice on the cross. The emphasis here is without Jesus Christ, There would be no peace. Peace would fail without that sacrifice. Apart from him, we can never have peace, okay? Now, let's go on here, then I'll get to this next part. Okay, so, our refers to both the Jews and the Greeks, for he is our, that is the Jew and the Greek, or I'm sorry, the Jew and the Gentile, Gentiles would be Greeks probably too, is our peace. That's the Jew and the Gentile. By making peace, Christ made both the Jew and the Gentile as one new man or one new body. We're going to see that. The middle wall of partition. Let's see. He hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition. Literally, that in Greek means the middle wall or the fence or the hedge. Okay, The hedge was the whole mosaic economy which separated the Jew and Gentile, you know, their covenants and their laws and their sacrifices they made. That's what he's talking about. And then verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, or some translations say hostility, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. He's abolished in the flesh. Abolished there means to render inoperative. Katarego, katarego, to render inoperative. He has rendered inoperative in his flesh the hostility, the hostility that was contained in the law or the ordinances. There was a hostility about it. There was an enmity that separated especially the Gentile from God because they weren't in the commonwealth of Israel, but even the Jew because they couldn't keep all those laws, no matter how devout and sincere they were. There was an enmity there. There was a, a clash there. You know, they couldn't do it. And so there was enmity. There was hostility because of that. By his death on the cross, Jesus abolished or made inoperative, rendered inoperative the law. He, Jesus, took away that dividing wall between the Jew and the Gentiles, what we're referring to, that separated Jews and Gentiles. He also took away the hostile feeling and thoughts and, you know, between these two groups. So we're talking about the ceremonial Mosaic law that was rendered inoperative and then it was broken down, and these two groups, Jews and Gentiles in Christ, were made one. Let's go on. I I have a statement here, and I want to talk about this a little bit today. I think it's so relevant for where we're at today in our society. The strength of any hostility, enmity being hostility, is the demand. Let me say that again. The strength of any hostility is the demand. See, there's a demand upon us. There was a demand upon us in the law You know, we were demanded or commanded to keep all 630 laws, and that's impossible. There was hostility there because we couldn't do that. There was friction there. You know, there was a battle there. The strength of any hostility is the demand. The law was the commandments that operated by ordinances or dogma or statutes or decree. All right? And let's see what happened here. Let's see what happened. I said that peace was the antidote to hostility. Let's go on, and we're, we're going to unfold some beautiful things here. Let's read on. For he is our peace who has made both, that is, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Verse 15, having abolished or rendered inoperative in his flesh the hostility, even the law of the commandments. See, they couldn't be kept. It's impossible to keep them. Contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain, or of two, they're talking about the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one new man, and by doing so, he made peace, so making peace. Let's look at that a little bit. Enmity, we're not just talking about, we're talking about enmity that was really between the Jews and the Greeks. The strength of any hostility is the demand. See, there was a friction there. There was a demand. We could call, and I want to get right into this, I'm not A politician. I'm not going to start talking about politics here. But when we want to talk about racism, this was real racism between the Jews and the Gentiles. We talked about last week that the Jews, you know, thought disparagingly of the Gentiles. They had nothing to do with them, they thought they were terrible. I mean, Even the Jews and the Samaritans, you know, is a good example. If you're watching the show that they have out, it brings it quite well, The Chosen, about how the disciples, they didn't want to really have— Jesus wanted to go to Samaria, and they didn't really want to go because they, they had hated as a culture the Samaritans, which were Gentiles. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. There was real enmity. There was real hostility between the two. The one group, the Jews, thought they were better than the Samaritans or the Gentiles, right? And isn't that what real racism is? I I wrote down the definition of racism because that's thrown a lot, about a lot today, recently in our society. In fact, in this country, there are leaders who say that we are, as white people, the white people are automatically racist, which I don't believe. They're systemically, I mean, a system of racism is what we've had here in this country has been said, and I don't believe that. There might be some misunderstanding. We don't understand each other's culture, but that doesn't automatically make a man or woman racist. Let me read this definition. Racism, prejudice, discrimination, antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group. And also directed in such a way that you try to get one up yourself on that group, that you're better than that group, that you deserve more. That's what we're talking about. So, prejudice, discrimination, antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group. I would say, you know, and I'm not a politician. But I would say a lot of the things that maybe have been labeled that way are just misunderstandings of how one culture is different from another. That doesn't mean that I'm against that culture. It means I don't understand them. They may not understand me. Sure, there has been racism, racism by all people of all colors. You know, uh, when the white men first came here and settled here against the Indians, uh, you know, against the red men. Sure, whites against blacks, there has been some racism, and it's been the other way around. But you cannot just label every single person as a racist. You know, I would say in this text, there was racism between the Jew and the Gentile. But God, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, he raced that and brought peace. He brought peace. That's what we're getting into, the study on peace. Let's go on. I've talked a lot about that. There's some beautiful things here. Yet, Having abolished or rendered inoperative in his flesh the hostility, the law of the commandments. So the commandments, the ordinances, 630 laws of the Talmud brought enmity. They brought strife. They brought hostility because man could keep them, could not keep them, I should say. For to make him in himself of twain the one man, one new man, so making peace. And that verse 16, he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the hostility thereby. See, there were two forms of hostility here. First, we had both the Jew and Gentile were in a conflict with the law. They were in enmity or hostility in trying to keep the law. And God abolished that by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We know Hadn't longer in our flesh had to try to keep those laws. But like I said, we exchange our life for His life. And if we allow Him to, He lives through us. And by Christ living in us and through us, we can fulfill this law. You know, that's how it's fulfilled. The other enmity was between, like I said, was a racist thing between the Jew and the Gentile. But he erased that. How did he do that? That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. He slayed or was slain the hostility thereby. Okay, let's go back and talk about that. He created in himself, the Greek says, one new man from the twain or from the two. And no longer two different groups of people, no longer two bodies of people, but one new man okay, in view here is not just the making of the two bodies, Jews and Gentiles, into one new group, but a whole completely different looking new group, new man, as it were, completely new, altogether new, no longer elements of Jews and Greeks, though I guess in the natural we still keep some of that, but a Christian man, a Christian body, something completely new, ketizo, the Greek word, means to create, not just make. Bring something in and create it new. New is kanon, kanon, not new in time, but new in quality. A whole new thing, a new quality, okay? Not just in time, but in quality. Man, anthropos, not male, but a generic term that means that so it would be neither male or female, no gender. But we're talking about the body of Christ, a whole new man was made. It's talking about that he might reconcile them both to God. There's something deeper and more beautiful here is in view than just the Jews and Gentiles coming together as one. This being made one or entirely new speaks of full restoration to God. We're talking about the way man was before there were even any covenants any Jewish laws or commandments in the Old Testament when man was first created, Adam, in the garden and having fellowship with God. We're talking about being rest, restored to that state that had been lost to reconcile. Apo, apo, katalasso. I've preached on that before. Apo Apocatalosso. It's talking about going, the first part, apo, back, going back into the time of the garden, we could say, katalasso to reconcile. Those that were at variance. Full salvation means those sinners are brought into a fully and yielded position before God. It's talking about that state of full restoration and freshness of the new creation, like Adam was in the garden, okay? Just him and God walking and conversing. That's what we're talking about. Enmity or hostility here between the sinner and God was abolished, okay? Purpose, what was the purpose? To make one new body, one completely different body than before. Jews and Gentiles were reconciled to God, to each other, but they were also reconciled to God. Let's let's talk a little bit about this a little further, about this oneness. 2 Corinthians 10.16 says, We being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of the one bread. It's talking about communion. Ephesians 4, 4 through 7, there is one body, one spirit, even you are called in one hope of your calling. One, one body, one spirit. Colossians three fifteen. let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which ye are called in one body and be thankful. Okay, let's go back and pick something else up here. We were talking about two types of hostility or enmity. The hostility between the Jews and the Gentile, and the hostility we mentioned between both groups and God. And both of them were abolished by the work of the cross, by the shed blood of Jesus that brought us near again. And I want to go back and I want to look at a couple things here that I wanted to pick up on again that I failed to mention. The strength of any hostility is the demand. See? there was a demand. When there's racism, there's a demand The one group thinks they're better than the other, and that we're worth more than you, and we deserve more than you. That's a demand. That brings about hostility. That brings about friction. That brings about hatred. You know, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about those things. We're talking about uh, hostility, deep-seated hatred, animosity, bitterness, okay? But Jesus' blood on the cross He made one new man and wiped that out. Let's look for a second here at a couple things, and then we're going to finish up with the last verse. We're talking about this racism. I think it's really important to address this, that this was done away with, and it's done away with today. There's no need for it because we have the love of God. We have the love of Christ. Let's look first. We're going to look first at 1 Corinthians when we're talking about what the opposite of that might be. You know, of having, uh, hostility, enmity makes demand on people, just like the law made a demand. But let's read this. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I'm at verse 1, but have not love, I've become as a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, I want to really get into this part. Love suffers long and is kind. You know, it's not making a demand. It's kind. It's loving. Love does not envy. In other words, I'm not envious of what you have over me. I accept you as you are. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Think of the opposite, which, uh, you know, bitterness and evil, hostility does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. We said that hostility makes a demand, but love, pure love from a heart that is in love with Jesus of a man or woman does not make demand on others. It just naturally loves people, right? And let's look at how Jesus was. One more verse, and then we're going to go Back to our text, and we're going to finish out today. This is an example of Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 1 through I think about 8. Philippians 2, 1 to 8. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. See, there's a consolation in Christ. He's loving, he has a fellowship with God in the Spirit. He has affection and mercy. And Paul's saying, you would make me uh, joyful by being like-minded as Christ, having that same love, being in one accord. Remember, we're talking about the two groups being made one of one mind, you know, no longer separated, no longer hostility and contention between the two. Let nothing be done, listen to this, through selfish ambition or conceit. We could say, let nothing be done through the demand of hostility. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests. See, hostility demands that my needs be met, my rights have been wronged, and you better take care of it. But this is the way Jesus said to do. Let not everyone look out for yourself, but his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was that mind? Let's read on. Who, being in the form of God, see, he was equal with God, did not consider it robbery, or he didn't strive to attain to be equal with God. He wasn't going to say, Yeah, I'm the Son of God, give me my rights. He gave that up, see? He made himself of no reputation, actually, taking the form of a bond sermon, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death even of the cross. Yes, he never sought his own rights. And in the end, he gave up his life for you and I. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. The removal of hostility, the removal of enmity between God and man and between man and man. No need for anything like racism. No need for one group thinking they're better than the other because we were all born and created by God. I remember... A brother shared with me he had a vivid dream the night before one of his daughters got married. And God gave him a dream. And it was a dream that talks about the bride of Christ will be wed with the Son of God, Jesus. You know, that bride. And it talks about the bride of Christ in the Bible. And he saw this great big wedding feast. And, you know, all these people, thousands and thousands of people were at this wedding banquet. And it was like the colors of a rainbow, he said, because all the people were from all different tribes and tongues and nations. They were all different colors, black, brown, yellow, red, and other shades. And that's what God loves. God loves the rainbow. He, he just doesn't love a white man or a black person or the North American Indian who's red. He loves all people. You know, we could remember that song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the re- world, red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. You remember that. The strength of any hostility is the demand, but thank God, the blood of Jesus took away that demand. There is no more demand. It was met in Jesus Christ. Let's finish up verse 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. And through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. That's where we'll end today. We'll finish that up a little bit here. Having come, he preached peace. That is, he proclaimed glad tidings, or he brought good news of peace, is what the Greek says, through Christ's atoning work on the cross. This is the preaching. This is what proclaimed the glad tidings of peace to those that were away and afar off, the Gentiles, and to those that were more near, who were under the law, the Jews. But he came and proclaimed peace. Verse 18, verse 18 is a confirmation or testimony of verse 17. Let's look at that. He came and preached peace to you, or brought glad tidings to you, or good news to you, which were afar off, that is the Gentiles, and to them that were nigh. So that that was the testimony. Jews and Gentiles were brought together as one and made one new man, and that was a witness. They're being brought together by Jesus' proclamation of peace and bringing good tidings, was a witness to the truth. Jesus Christ came and brought good news. He preached to both the Jews and the Gentiles. He brought access. Let me see here. For through him we have access. I love this word, Prosago. the Greek says, to open a way of access. So through him we have a way of access that's been made. And that word further means it's used of one who secures a private audience or interview for another with a sovereign. In other words, it might be used of an ambassador who makes an audience with a king so some of his people from his country can come and talk to that king. The Spirit of God made access. Is that what is that's what it's saying there? Through him we both have access by one spirit under the Father. He's opened up an avenue or an access that we might have an audience with Abba, okay, with the sovereign. That's what he's done by his work on the cross, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit makes access unto the Father, okay? Isn't that beautiful? Access in French language is entree. He's made an entree for us. The blood of Christ is what makes it possible, that sacrifice. Then the Holy Spirit ushers us in, kind of like the ambassador, to get us an audience or give us an audience with the Father. Isn't that beautiful? That's where we're at today. We're talking about peace, the antidote to hostility. And that's what Jesus has done by his death on the cross. Let's look at peace for just a second, and then we'll come back to it. We're going to pick up here. Peace. When we're talking about peace, it's a really, really rich word. The Hebrew word is shalom. You've heard that. They say shalom sometimes in their culture to each other. And that's just such a, has such a beautiful meaning. I need to get into it more next time. It's not just absence of conflict. We know that, like, you know, we've signed this peace accord between the Jews and the Palestinians. They're not really at peace. There's an underlying hostility and enmity. They have just put down their weapons, but that's not true peace, okay? It's not just the absence of conflict, but prosperity in a culture in every way, health and welfare, you know? We're going to get into that more. That's what that word means. Prosperity in every way, health and welfare in every way. I want to read one more, and then I think we'll be done. I want to read this one last passage to you, and that'll kind of sum it up for what peace really is. And next week, we're going to really uh, dive deeper into the word peace and what that means in the Word of God and what that means in the Scripture, how the process actually was fulfilled or or shown in this passage that we've been reading today. The third epistle of John, and I'm reading verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I pray that you may prosper in all things, in health, just as your soul prospers, that you might prosper totally in your life. That is a proclamation there of peace. You might have said that's the New Testament way of saying shalom, that you may prosper in all ways, in your health and in your soul. So that's my prayer for you, that all of you listening today, tomorrow in the future, by the will of God, by the grace of God, by His empowerment on your life, would prosper in health and every area of your life. Amen? Amen, until next time, be blessed. We'll see you next time on the Kingdom Corner Podcast.
0: Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on the Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt guybe Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the Book of Ecclesiastes Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website SignificanceAcademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.